Well, welcome to the church at Woodbine. My name is Doug Jones. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here. And this side is kind of filled up more than it usually is. You're just like all speaking over here with one or two over there. But welcome. We're so glad you've joined us. We are going through a sermon series this month called Why. Why do we pray? Why do we preach? Why do we give? Which is today. Why do we sing? Will be next week. You might even ask, why do we baptize? And if you don't know that answer, come talk with me. You can talk with Wes, talk with Johnny, talk with Miss Lauren. We would love to share with you about that. Why do we baptize? And if you've never been baptized by immersion, we would love to baptize you. And we'll make sure, uh, Lauren was pretty quick with Miss Bella. She put her down and up. I mean, I'll hold you down till you repent. No, I'm just teasing. No, but we would love to talk about that because baptism symbolizes God's incredible grace and mercy and his sacrifice of Jesus dying on the cross, shedding his blood for your sins, for my sins, for the sins of the world, being buried, and then three days later, like we sang earlier, rising from the dead. It symbolizes all of that and that new life he promises when we put our faith in Jesus. Today, we're going to be talking about why we give. And yes, I'm going to talk a whole lot about money and why we give of our tithes, why we give of our offerings. And I recognize, and I know, and I said this a couple months ago when I preached on why, you know, stewardship, you know, that we start talking about money, we get real nervous. When I have money in my bank account, I feel free, I feel powerful, I feel generous, and I feel secure. When I don't have money in my bank account, I get nervous and anxious and stressed out. What's your heart attitude when it comes to money? The world promises everything under the sun and moon if you have money. And it comes up short every time. And so just to break the ice, I've got some fun pictures here just when it comes to tithes and offerings. And I hope you can see it. I mean, there's one here, and this is just to break ice. This is the pastor after he gives his sermon. And then the choir director says that Jesus paid it all after he gave a sermon on tithes and offerings, you know. Man, I mean, or what about this one here? You know, when you see that uh, two guys are stranded on an island, one's like, I'm afraid no one's going to find us. And the other's like, no, I give $100,000 to my church, my pastor, he'll find us. You know, and I'm sure you've seen this bumper sticker here too, where it says, you know, honk if you love Jesus, keep on texting if you want to meet him. You know, now what does it have to do with tithing? Nothing, but there's another bumper sticker that'll say, tithe if you love Jesus, honk, because anyone else can do that. We don't have this here, but if you're at a church with two worship services, if you're one of the ushers passing the plate, you might get a face like this. You know, don't we just, didn't I just give in the first offering? Now, have you ever been in church when people are passing the plates of tithes and offering and they drop the plate and the coins and go everywhere? I have. And we've got carpet here, but oh, it's so embarrassing. I've been in worship services when we've passed the plates and people are actually making change. With the offering plate. No joke. Have you ever been in worship service and you feel like the ushers are shaking you down to give even more? Why do we give? We're going to look at a story here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. And I want to give a little context. The Corinthian church was an amazing church. They loved Jesus. They were so eager to serve. They had incredible questions about the end times, the Lord's Supper, about spiritual gifts. It was a growing church. It was a very dynamic and diverse church. 
But like every church, there was a whole lot of sin in the church. And so Paul wrote one letter called 1 Corinthians to the church. And that he was answering tons of their questions and actually rebuking them with, with a lot of their sin. And then he ended up writing a second letter called 2 Corinthians back to the church, responding to their questions and answers from his first letter. But then also word had gotten back to Paul about how that church was doing. So he wrote a second letter. The Corinthian church is a great church. But just like our church, it was marred with a whole lot of glory mixed in with the glory the good and the bad. I mean, we're all sinners. And when you get us together and you shake us all up, there's going to be sin. There's going to be problems. There's going to be potential for division and frustrations. It happens. So Paul writes this second letter to the Corinthians. And he continues the conversation that he started when he first was there. And then this won't be, we don't have to look this up, but at the very end of his first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 Verses 1 and 2. This is the very end of his first letter. Paul told this, the Corinthian church this. Now about the collection for the saints. Do the same as I instructed to the Galatian churches on the first day of the week, which is what? Sunday. That's when they gather for worship. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. So tithe and offering so that no collections will need to be made when I come. This is what was happening. The Jerusalem church, the Judean churches, were suffering tremendously from persecution and famine. The mother church was extremely poor. And for years, as Paul went around traveling, especially Asia Minor, as he planted and started churches, the Lord had pressed upon Paul and his team to set aside offerings and money to send back to the Jerusalem church to support them. And he told the Galatian churches, the Macedonian churches, and now the Corinthian churches. And he told them again at the end of 1 Corinthians, set aside some for the ministry of the saints. And we're going to look at briefly in a few minutes why we give and to what we give. Time passes, and he writes 2 Corinthians And this is where we pick up right here in verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. Paul is saying to the Corinthians, we want you to know, brothers, and we as Timothy and Silas and Titus, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. Okay, the grace of God in this context is our tithes and offerings for the saints in Jerusalem. That's what it refers to. About the, what the churches did in Macedonia. Okay, who are those churches in Macedonia? It's the Philippians, it's the Ephesians, and the Bereans. Those three groups of churches. Paul is telling the Corinthians, we want you to know how it went with those churches in Macedonia. And here in verse 2, he says, During a severe trial brought about by affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I can testify that according to their ability and even beyond their ability of their own accord, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete among you this act of grace. Okay, what is going on? You guys could probably picture it out. Paul writes to the, to the Corinthian church. He's saying, look, 
the churches in Macedonia, which is the Galatian churches, the Berean churches, and the Philippian churches, they were suffering tremendously, severe trials, afflictions. Those churches are even poor economically. But we want you to know that they were eager to give. And out of their poverty, out of their trials, they gave above and beyond what we could possibly think and imagine. And we want you, Corinthians, to know that. So that you too, as Paul said here, excel in everything. Now, is Paul pitting one church against another? Yeah, kind of. To create rivalries and contentions and division and jealousies? No, that's not his purpose. Now, that can happen. For example, when you see someone in your family or at your workplace get a raise or a reward or something that you don't get, what's your initial heart reaction? Well, what about me? That's not fair. Well, look at what I did. That can happen. But that's more of a reflection on what's in your heart and not with what's going on in reality. Paul is sharing with the Corinthian church about what's going on in Galatia and Ephesus and Philippi and Berea to encourage the Corinthians. He's telling them, look, the Macedonian churches, even though they are going through trials and tribulations and afflictions, even though they're very poor, they exceeded and they actually were eager to give. And it makes me ask the question, am I eager to give? Are you eager to give? There's a a hand gesture, elbow gesture in Mexico that we do for being stingy and being tight. And it's this. Now, you got to be real careful how you do it because you could be also communicating something else, and I'm not going to do it. But in Mexico, people be like this, and that means, ooh, that person went tight. You have to squeeze them real hard just to get a peso out of them. There's a phrase, what type of giver are you? Are you flint, like a flint rock, where it requires tons of hitting with a sledgehammer and a pickaxe and only small chips fall out? Or are you a sponge where the harder you squeeze, the more comes out and you give out of wrong motives? Or are you like a honeycomb where you're so filled up with the honey of God's presence that the honey of giving just oozes out? Now, Johnny shared with us a little little bit ago, Jesus sat at the temple and as he watched all these wealthy people giving out of abundance of their wealth, he didn't criticize them. But he celebrated this poor widow who gave a half penny. And Jesus was like, hold the phone, stop. This old woman, this widow, a half penny. And she gave everything. Abundance overflowing. And that's what these Macedonian churches were doing. And so Paul, he exhorts the Corinthian church to encourage and maybe even to spur on, maybe even as a rebuke, And as he says here, and let's stand up here in verse four. So y'all go ahead and stand here in verse four. Paul says, they begged us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints. And not just as we had hoped, instead they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us by God's will. So that's the key. 
when we understand what Jesus has given us, y'all can sit down. When we understand what God has given us, Jesus gave everything for our salvation. When we grasp that, like the Macedonian churches, we will return, we will give ourselves first and fully to the Lord and then to God's work. And then Paul continues here. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so Paul sent Titus back to Corinth with this letter, 2 Corinthians, to read it to the Corinthian church and to encourage and teach and disciple and shepherd the Corinthian church. So he urged Titus this just as he had begun back in 1 Corinthians 16. So he should also complete among you this act of grace. The Corinthian church got distracted. And so Paul sent Titus back with this second letter to the Corinthian church to help them complete that offering to help support the churches in Jerusalem and Judea. What does it have to do with why we give? And we're going to slap it and be for boogie and go really fast because we need to celebrate the Lord's Supper. What can we learn from this passage about giving? Well, a lot. First and foremost, we give because God is worthy of everything that we have. We give because God owns it all anyway. What we have, everything that we have, has been lent to us. And we give it back as an act of worship, as an act of honor, because God owns it all. It's kind of like, you know, if a dad took a child to McDonald's, and McDonald's has got some great fries, and this father, if he buys his four-year-old son a burger and some fries and maybe a sundae or a milkshake and a Coke, and they sit down, they're eating, and the dad sees those yummy-looking fries on the plate, his kid's fries, and he reaches over and he takes one of his son's fries, and the son slaps his down the hand. That's mine! Well, is it? And many of us could be that way with our money. When in reality, it's God's money. And if he wants to take some, he's worthy and he should. But what he invites us to do is give it back as an act of worship and honor. So why do we give? Really quick, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says that all scripture, all scripture, say all. That's A-L-L. Now, if you want to say it in Southern, all, that's A-W-W. All scripture from Genesis to Revelation is God-breathed. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So all scripture is God-breathed. And there's actually four scripture principles for why we give. Say four. Johnny and Amanda will tell you two, two, there's two things we want you to know. There's four things for why we give. The first one is the Old Testament tithing. But the Old Testament teaches and talks about tithing. The second one is just Jesus. Now that's a VBS answer. And VBS, if you ask the kids a question, they're going to answer Jesus. Who died on the cross? Jesus. Who was in the Ark of the Covenant? Jesus. Who was in the Ark with all the animals? Jesus. No, that's not quite right. But that's, you know... Jesus is the second reason, his life and his teaching. The third reason is the examples of the early church. And we just looked at one here in 2 Corinthians. 
And the fourth is attitudes of the heart. Very quickly, the Old Testament and tithing. There's tons of verses. In Leviticus chapter 27, verse 30, it talks about one of the many passages about tithing in the Old Testament. And this is what God told his people Israel in the Old Testament. Every tenth of the land's produce, grain from the soil or fruit from the tree, belongs to the Lord. But isn't it all of it? Yes. But in the Old Testament teaching about tithing, God taught the people of Israel, return and give a tenth back as an act of worship, honor, and obedience. There are so many passages we could look at, but that's the Old Testament. Now, you might be saying, but Doug, we're in the New Testament, the New Covenant. We don't follow all of the Old Testament laws. That is correct. But we need to remember that Jesus, in Matthew 5, chapter 17, Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfills the law. And there's a lot of the Old Testament that we don't have to follow. Praise the Lord, because one of the commands in the Old Testament was no bacon. We couldn't. Now we can. But Jesus also talks about tithing of the Old Testament and brings it up to the New Testament. One of the ones is what we've talked about, the widow who gave her those two mites. The second one is this, when he rebukes the Pharisees, and this is found in Mark, Matthew chapter 23. He says, woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees. You hypocrites, you pay a tenth of mint, dill, and cumin. Those are three of the smallest herbs in the, gar- in the garden. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the, uh, what do they call it in English? Maestros de la ley. What's that called? Jorge, help me out. Teachers of the law, thank you. Gosh. They were so intent on forcing everyone to tithe even to the smallest of what was in someone's garden. And yet Jesus says, but you neglect the more important things of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faithfulness. That's by far the most important. But look at what Jesus says. These things you should have done. Mercy, justice, faithfulness. Without neglecting the others. Tithing. Jesus takes Old Testament tithing and he puts it to the New Testament, New Covenant. It's different now. Am I making sense? That's the second one. Now it's just Old Testament and it's teaching about tithing. But Jesus in his life, remember, Jesus paid it all. So that doesn't mean we surrender some. We surrender all too. Number three, it's the example of the early church. And we just saw it here in 2 Corinthians. We saw one of many examples. There's four different examples that the early church gives us. And this is really quick. Support suffering believers in churches. That's what we just saw in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We won't look at the other passages, but another example we see in the whole book of Acts throughout all the letters is to serve and help those in need. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, all throughout the book of Acts, we see the church giving of offerings and tithes to those in need. The third one is this, and I hope you guys are Bereans if you were here last week. Missional work. In Romans chapter 15, verses 24, Paul wrote to the Romans, telling the Roman church whom he never met, I'm going to Spain on mission, and I want to come visit and see you, pass through to be assisted by you for my journey. 
So Roman Church, I'm coming to visit you, and I expect you to support my mission journeys to Spain where there is no gospel presence. That is the third reason or the third way that we see in the early church why we give is for missionaries and global workers, locally, nationally, internationally. They need it. Most of our global workers need our finances to go. The fourth reason in the, in the New Testament that we see is to provide for the ministers shepherding the congregations. 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, If you live by, if you, who I don't want to mess it up, 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way the Lord has commanded those who preach the gospel should earn their living by the gospel. Our tithes and our offerings pay for our staff's paychecks. It pays to keep the lights on. And it's the church's responsibility to do that. The fourth scriptural reason for tithes and offerings and forgiving is the heart attitude. And we've talked about this. Psalm 24.1 commands us, tells us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Proverbs 3 says, honor the Lord with your wealth. 2 Corinthians 9, the very next chapter here, tells us that each one should give according to what he's decided in his heart because God loves a cheerful giver. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And in closing, there's four reasons why we give. Why we pass the plate. The first one is this. We recognize that all we have is the Lord's. Number two, we give back or we give because it's an act of faith and acknowledgement of his sovereignty. Number three, we give because we are overjoyed at the opportunity to enter his service. As I was studying and preparing for this sermon, what kept hitting me hard in 2 Corinthians was the Macedonian churches. They were eager and they wanted to give. And then number four, we give because Jesus gave everything so that we might live. I want to invite you to stand. There's a story I want to share with you, and I hope it speaks to you the way it speaks to me. I heard about a farmer who called the office of the minister of his local church, and he said, is the head hog at the trough? And the the receptionist who knew this farmer very well, she said, sir, if you're talking about our beloved minister, you may call him reverend or pastor. But I don't think it would be proper to refer to him as the head hog at the trough. Well, all right, the farmer said. I just sold a few sows and I was going to donate $10,000 to the building fund. So I was hoping to catch him. Well, the receptionist responded right away. Oh, just a minute, sir. I think I just heard the poor little porker come in the office. (laughs) You know, we can laugh at that. And it's awesome. But here's my challenge for all of us. What is your next step in giving? You might be super faithful in all that you give. You might be faithfully in tithing. You might not give in anything. What's your next step? If you're someone who loves Jesus and you're not tithing or offering a thing, my challenge to you is to start today and begin to plan every single week, every single month. I'm going to give X amount. Pray about it. Ask the Lord to help you. If you need help with your finances, we can walk with you in that. God is very 
very true to his word that he loves a cheerful, faithful giver. If you give every blue moon, but you're not tithing and sacrificially giving, what's your next step? If you're faithfully tithing and giving, thank you. What's your next step of becoming even more generous? We give because we love him and worship him. We give because we honor him. We give for his work, ministry, and service here on earth for the glory of Jesus.